Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Elvis Reviews podcast. I am here in Sydney, Australia, and it's uh, eight o'clock in the morning. I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana, and it's six o'clock at night, and it's hot as hell. And here it's freezing. Yeah. <laughs> see what we're dealing with. See what we got to do. I just woke up. I'm drinking coffee. You're probably having iced coffee. I am having iced coffee. <laughs> There you go. So we're here to talk about an album. This is really, well, it's the first half of a double album, which we've already talked about the second half. And the second half was actually related to the previous review before that one. It's it's all connected. See, this is how it is. These three albums especially, yeah. Mm. They're from Elvis in Memphis, back in Memphis, and in person, I guess, is technically the name of this part of the album. Yeah, see, that's the thing. If you're looking at the single album release of this, it's in person at the International Hotel Los Vegas, Nevada, the United States of America. Uh, If you're looking at the first half of the double album, I guess it's from Memphis to Vegas. Right. And I think think you were right when we were talking about this, the previous album or the previous half of this album, because I was saying that I thought it was really serious and kind of moody. And I hadn't thought of it the way you said that, well, maybe this is sort of the counterpoint. This is the lighter, more fun half. Oh, yeah. And it makes so much more sense in my head that way, that this Mm. is just, you know, the other half. Here's Elvis having fun and here's him doing his serious business. Yeah. See? And that just came out of my mouth. I'd never even thought about it before (laughs) I said it. (laughs) No, but it really does make a lot of sense to look at it that way. And I really had never thought of it like that. So, 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 yeah, when the the double album came out, it was uh, October 1969. And the double album went to number 12 and was certified gold quickly in December. But I don't. I don't have the information on the... I don't think either single album did especially well. Well, oh yeah, this, we talked about this before, and it's like, it's just a serious case of double dipping, really. It's like, yeah. we've already sold this. Colonel already put out this double album, and then at some point, somebody decided, let's put them out as individual albums and try and sell them right. all over again. And hopefully, <laughs> right. most people were smart enough to look at them and go, well, I've already got this. Exactly. But then there might have been people who didn't buy the double album for whatever reason and only wanted one or yeah. the other. So they could have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wouldn't have expected sales really on a, a yeah. second release to be that massive. Yeah. And it was a second release like like within a year or two. I mean, mm. it was really it'd be like somebody putting like Prince puts out Sign of the Times and then a year later puts each one out individually and tries to sell them. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. It was weird. OK, I'll start off with one thing. I haven't listened to this particular live album for many, many years. And in in the last month, I've listened to it a lot. And there's a line in this which I remember hearing a hundred years ago. And that's where he says something about it's my first live appearance in nine (laughs) years. Right. But we all know that's technically not true. It depends how, you know, it's semantics, really. It's his first live tour. It's his first live run. It's his first live Run. season right. it's in not nine a years, but it's not the first show. Right. Because I looked it's... into some details about, you know, the dates and the recordings. Now, this is straight off an Elvis site I found. It says, by mm. the time RCA Records and Felton Jarvis arrived to start recording some of his shows on August 21st, Elvis mm. had already conquered Las Vegas. Elvis had been performing to sold-out crowds in the newly opened International Hotel's main showroom since July 31. He played yep. two shows a night, seven days a week schedule. Elvis had performed already over 40 concerts in just three weeks mm-hmm. and he and these these recordings are from the last week of that four right. weeks so right w- when i remember when i heard him say it's my first live appearance in nine years i'm like oh wow this is the first show it's not i, I thought the same thing it's like yeah 40 40 plus shows in right he's defining the term 
the tour. Appearance, yeah. As the, the whole run in Las Vegas. It's a tricky so. word play. <laughs> yeah. But it is a shame that the first show, as far as I know, wasn't professionally recorded. Well, any of them well, uh, prior to even these. more amazing, video. Imagine oh what's... Oh my God, that would be great. Even just one or two professionally shot videos yeah. of this first tour back after nine years would have just been, it, it'd blow your mind. It'd blow, Yeah, uh, that's the way it is, all these, the rehearsal, all the great stuff that we know, we, you know, people say, oh, that's one of his best live things. Yeah. Imagine this season, if we had some video of this. It would have been really cool. Although, that's the way it is, is only, what, the, the second season, I think. He hadn't even gone, like, on tour. He'd mm. still just been in Vegas. So it's, I mean, we're lucky as hell to have that's the way it is, because it, it's close. It's as close to this as you can get. It's just one year yeah. out. But this would have been amazing, because he would have been auditioning his band. Because by the time we got to That's the Way It Is, the band is already set. But this is his first time working with Ronnie Tut and yeah. I mean, all these guys, Wilkinson, all of them. And so it would have been amazing to have to see that, to see him really putting the band together. Mm. Whereas that's the way it is. The band is already together. But Yeah. So with the recordings, they started recording August 21st midnight show running through. Mm -hmm. And then they recorded every show through to the August 26th midnight show. Recorded 11 right. complete concerts. They also made test recordings during a rehearsal and the dinner show on August 21, which I'm sure are available mm. as well. From all of this material, RCA edited together 12 songs from the august 24th and 25th midnight show and the august 25th and 26th dinner show but i think 80 mm percent -hmm. are from like one of these shows when i looked at the actual yeah dates. i think it's mostly the 25th midnight show mm. uh yeah august 25th midnight show seems to be the majority of this of this concert uh, totally unrelated but sort of related i was watching mm -hmm. an old like don rickles interview on like johnny carson or something on youtube uh -huh. and he was talking about you know they always ask him what was it like back in vegas you know this was probably late mm -hmm. 80s or something mm -hmm. early 90s before johnny retired and he asked don about the shows that he did and he used to do i used to do three shows a night midnight mm -hmm. 2 a.m and 5 a.m and it just Jeez. it just blew my mind to think that that was the the schedule yeah. of anybody las vegas is such a weird place though have you ever been to las vegas yeah yeah yeah. but it's, it's not like that crazy they're not town. still doing 5 a.m shows now that was back <laughs> in like the heyday when you yeah. know you'd go to vegas you'd stay there all night you'd come out and the sun's up I don't think yeah. it's, you know, I'm sure for some people, but for most people, that's not how it is these days. No, probably not. You go there. Yeah, you get back to the hotel at like 2. That's enough. <laughs> 2 a.m., You don't even have to leave. Yeah, if, if you even leave the hotel. I mean, oh, every yeah. hotel is like a world, you yeah. know, with its own currency and everything. But yeah, that but. schedule just blew my mind. And then, you know, you look at these, he's doing a, a dinner show, which was at 6 or 8 p.m. And then a midnight show. Mm -hmm. did, he, did Elvis ever do three? in a night or was two enough i think there might have been afternoon oh yeah we, there, we had, there might have been afternoon, afternoon shows in the garden somewhere. so yeah which i just listened to the new the like third or fourth re-release of madison square garden recently by the way um yeah it doesn't sound any better to me than the prince from another planet version it's just slightly louder yeah good for them for putting out another re-release but i don't think there's that much more they can do some of these recordings are as good as they're gonna get yeah and it, it really is weird i mean because listening to this show Having listened to the Elvis on stage 1970 and Aloha from Hawaii, it really draws attention to how badly recorded Madison Square Garden was. Oh, uh, yeah. Because all these other shows, including this one, sound so much better and so much cleaner and clearer. Yeah. 
then even the the newest Madison Square Garden release is still not as clear as this. Yeah, all these re-releases, you know, you can play around with EQ all you like, but unless you're going back to master tapes and actually remixing it and like bringing up Elvis's vocal where it's too quiet and stuff like that, unless you're doing that, there's not a lot of point just Mm. fiddling around. Yeah, but now there's AI. Uh, and they've been using AI. Don't even start this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) They're putting out a new Beatles song. I did see that. Yeah, and they're using AI to, to... clean up John's voice and and I've been listening to like Paul McCartney de-aged AI videos and some of them are really amazing wow. so I think it's only a matter of time we're gonna get Elvis they're gonna it's do gonna it happen. I mean it might not even yeah we might be dead this, but it oh it will no happen. no this is you're talking in a couple of years this, we, well, <laughs> we, we may be dead in a couple of years <laughs> who knows <laughs> Well, that's true. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I remember not. reading about that Beatles thing and it was like, we all remember yeah. on one of the anthology, there was Real Love and Free as a Bird. Real Love. This is actually the third song from that cassette. There were three songs on the tape. I can't remember the name of the new one, though. It's either Now and Again or Now and Then, it, Every it's, Now and it's Then, now something or never. like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I've listened to it. Oh, uh, I, haven't even, I didn't even know it was out yet. I just read about it a few days ago. Well, I've listened to versions that amateurs have done uh-huh. on YouTube That's that sound extremely professional to me. But yeah, mm. there's, a, there's at least four different AI versions of that Beatles song. Oh, wow. Well, we're not here to talk about AI today. Um, Right, or the Beatles. Or the Beatles. Yeah, no Beatles at all here. No, they cut out the one Beatles track. Yes. Yesterday, it turned up on the uh, 1970 album, but it was recorded at this show. Mm. So I'll just tell you a little bit about this before we start the actual tracks. Just a quick thing. Mm -hmm. Elvis was the second performer in this brand new hotel. Mm -hmm. He started July 31st, 1969, immediately following Mm -hmm. Barbara Streisand, who had Mm -hmm. played there for, I guess, three or four weeks. Right. And the idea that I read was let her open it and she'll get all the bugs worked <laughs> and by the time Elvis Elvis comes in, everything will be ready. Because yeah. it was brand new when she started. So Elvis performed the first show of what would become a seven-year run at the hotel, playing 636 mm-hmm. consecutive sold-out shows. That has to be a record. No one has sold sure over 600 consecutive sold-out shows. Yeah. That is an insane sentence to even say. It is. You know, you get someone like Pink who comes out to Sydney or Melbourne and she plays seven shows and they're like, seven sold-out shows, oh, it's a record. Yep. Maybe in Australia, <laughs> but come on. <laughs> but then again, they yeah. are like arenas uh, with 20,000, not a few thousand. Yeah, I don't even know the capacity of the showroom. Oh, that's the one I thing I don't have in front out. of me here. Yeah, I don't even know if I've ever read it. I imagine it's 1,500, something like that. Yeah. That's a good guess. Something like that. So, yeah, Elvis signed a four-week engagement as the second performer. It would be his first public stage appearance in eight years or nine, depends how you want to count it. Eight or nine. Presley's first show proved so popular that the hotel immediately signed him to a five-year contract for two-month-long engagements per year. He'd go on to perform a total of 636 shows at the hotel from 1969 to 1976 with every show sold out. That's just crazy. Yeah. Now, that fact is something that was very much a focal point of the the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie. Oh, okay. Which I still haven't watched. Oh I know, my God. but there's a very famous like I think it, I think it's in Graceland. There's like a tablecloth that Colonel Parker and and it was Kirk Kerkorian or whoever owned the hotel at the time that this whole thing, this whole contract was written on a tablecloth while Elvis was performing and Colonel Parker was in the audience with this guy. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's I mean, the movie, I'm sure, made things much more dramatic and exaggerated and stuff. But the way the movie made it sound is Parker pretty much signed Elvis to this years long contract 
without really talking to Elvis <laughs> yeah. about it. Elvis but. got off stage and he's like, oh, welcome to your new home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to be here until you die. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't know all the real details about that, but the movie really did a great job of, of making it dramatic. So. so let's talk about this album. Yes, let's, let's go to track number one. It's Blue Suede Shoes, a Carl mm-hmm. Perkins track. What do you so, got? Well, first of all, the opening to this concert is interesting. It's very different. It's not 2001 yeah. yet. In fact, it's almost, I, I go back and forth how much I like the opening. Uh, sometimes I think it sounds like it's a game show or like a late yeah, night yeah. talk that, show. I've beginning. got it written here. It sounds like the start of like a late night show. Like that's exactly. It sounds, it does. It's very Vegasy. But then once Blue Suede Shoes gets going, I think this is my very favorite live version. It sort of, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word, segues into that groove so easily. Yeah. It's like you barely even notice it. It's just, oh, now we're in Blue Suede Shoes. It's really yeah, good the way like it just fades into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Piano is um, great yeah, that on piano this piano bit comes in. The, uh, the guy on piano is the one guy who's not, who doesn't go on to become the regular oh, Who's the piano, piano guy here? Because he does it's not it's not glenn uh, no glenn harden is not on this everybody else all the regulars are there but not Ooh. glenn yeah larry mohoverak wow. well he's good whoever he is I can, he is but yeah he's the only not member of the tcb band i guess on here he, glenn isn't there yet yeah i was saying that this is probably my favorite live version of the song throughout this album i'm going to be saying that oh. all the time probably because most of the live versions on here are the best live version in my opinion yeah. The only one that competes with this is one from the year before at the 68 special. Mm. But basically, I mean, he just, Elvis just sounds so raw and so, like there's a quote from Bob Dylan that says the first time he heard Elvis felt like busting out of jail. Mm-hmm. And this this concert sounds like Elvis busting out of jail. You know, it, it's he sounds so free from the movies and he's just doing his own thing and it's just palpable. And if you get that 11 CD box set, which I've only listened to part of the first CD, yep. it's even more palpable. I mean, he is, he's so much looser. Well, like you said, he'd already done like 40 yeah. shows by the time they got the tape recorders there, but he is way looser than definitely than this album uh, is able to illustrate because they've edited this album so much and rearranged it. And, and so this is a very yeah. professional kind of a tight album. But boy, if you listen to some of those other ones, he's really having fun. I've got a uh, list of that. I've, in fact, the very, I don't know when, I'll get so the time, good. but I'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean, the very first show on there on Blue Suede Shoes, he immediately changes one line to, you can you can splatter my ass all over the place, and then starts <laughs> laughing. I mean, it's like opening line. He's having fun. But yeah, I, there's hardly anything to say about a lot of this, because it's just it's really just about perfect. If I had a tiny, stupid, barely even really a complaint, on his original recording in 56, when he repeats the line, uh, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, now go cat, go. The second time he says that he does go, go, go. Uh, I kind of yeah. miss that, but it's almost not worth mentioning. Oh, I like I like cat better. Well, he does cat the first time, but I like the second time when he does mm. go, go, go. But yeah, he doesn't do it in the live version. I mean, it's also really interesting during the guitar solo, there's a, a section where you hear the audience start clapping again as if they're appreciating the guitar solo. I'm pretty sure what they've done is removed a whole horn section Oh. and added some audience noise. Because when you listen to those other ones, there's definitely a lot more horn stuff going on than on this album. Oh, interesting. Uh, which is, is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think most of the time throughout this, when you hear like a, a solo and, and you hear a little smattering of applause that comes and goes... I, th- I think that's where horns used to be. What we need to do. But I'd have to go back. Uh, and there is, I think, maybe on Wikipedia or somewhere, I saw a breakdown of where, what show each track on this album is from. Then we can go back to mm-hmm. that 11 CD, 
box set and listen right. to each one and listen and see what the differences are. Whoever's got the time to do that, yeah. have fun. I wish I did. <laughs> well, I think somebody on YouTube actually compiled this album or this edit from those 11 CDs. Also, there, I might have seen that. They remade yes. the album, but with the original unedited versions. Exactly. Ah, okay. Right. So there's more horn. I think stuff I did say on. that, but I didn't listen to it because I'm like, I don't know what that is. No, that's a good right. idea. <laughs> but that's all I can say about Blue Suede Shoes. It's this is a great start. It's a great show, the whole damn show. But yeah, well, it's a great you, start. It's all I you got. just mentioned um, jail a minute ago. Mm. Uh, what mm -hmm. I think is a glaring omission, Jailhouse Rock, not on this album. Did he play no. it at any of those shows or was that just not in the set list? Yes. Then? No, he did play it. Uh, he also played Don't Be Cruel, which is not yeah. on here. He also did Heartbreak Hotel, wow. which has a, a horn like arrangement. His biggest hits, and they, well, actually, were they the biggest hits back then? They are now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those are still big. But again, they might have been worried about repetition a little bit on this album. But th well, this was the first live album. What are you repeating? Yeah, you're right. You're right. But they also cut out uh, I Got a Woman and What I'd Say. Yeah. Two great Ray Charles tracks. This live album should have been the double album. You could have easily right. filled four sides of vinyl easily. Yeah. Although Elvis was really screwing around at these concerts a lot more than I realized. <laughs> and so they might have, especially when we get to Are You Lonesome Tonight, they obviously were looking for the track where he didn't screw yeah. up or didn't, not screw up, but screw around. So they were really looking for the tightest versions. And so I'd have to listen to all 11 CDs yeah. to see if he really screws around <laughs> on all of them. Because like I said, even Blue Suede Shoes, I mean, the very first track on that first live one, he immediately just starts messing with the <laughs> lyrics. So they might have really had to work to get, yeah to cobble it down to like these the tracks. I don't know. Professional sounding. Right. Okay. I've got to say about this song, okay. you, you've, you've said it, it's a great version. And what I'll say now is really going to go for a lot of songs from the early days where later in his career, they were just these one minute, 90 second throwaway things that he did solely to just satisfy the audience who wanted to hear all the big hits. Right. But here, and most of these versions, we get the full length, proper versions of these songs. Yes. And that's why this is a great album. And so many of these songs are some of the best, the best live versions he's done because, well, even though you say he was messing around out of this, uh, what's the word? This season. Is season the mm -hmm. word? I don't know. This tour. I think it is. I mean, they've used that. It's not a tour because it's, one, it's place. one place. This residency. I think season's the word. I keep seeing season. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, it's the summer season, the Vegas season. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the season in but Vegas. But yeah, I mean, they are just great versions. And the mixing, the mixing is great. Yeah. Elvis is dead center, as he should be, and the bass also. Mm. And the bass is really easy to hear. It's clear, which of course I love. I hate some other shows we listen to, and you can barely hear the bass. You're like straining right. to try and hear just, uh, this is this sounds great. But yeah, the mixing, you've got James' guitar in the right speaker backing singers are also on the right you've got the drums and the piano on the left so it's a, a very mm -hmm. interesting what do they call it spatial field something yeah. like that one of those fancy words uh yeah, yeah it's interesting the stereo the stereo mix it's interesting mm -hmm. where things are positioned mm -hmm. but it's good because in some ways it can help you hear things better because if like it's like some mm -hmm. of those old the uh, beatles tracks you know you've got guitar on that side oh. vocals on the other if you want to just hear the vocals you just turn to the right and just listen to that <laughs> exactly so it's, it's great yeah if you want an acapella beatles song just turn yeah. it to the right or the left yeah so that's all i got uh, track number two okay. it's johnny be good now let me tell you yes i just watched Back to the Future Part 2 last night, which of course has oh, Johnny cool. Be Good in it, as in the first one. So it this does. is fresh. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> in my mind. But yeah, this version, there's great bass on this. Some nice piano work as well. Just like on the first track, the piano. This is the thing I don't like about the piano. Yeah. One negative about the mixing on this album. When, mm-hmm. it's, when it's just piano, you can hear it perfectly. But when everything else is playing, mm-hmm. you can hardly hear it. And there's, a, mm-hmm. there's another song I'll bring that up on later. But uh, okay. when it's the focus of the piano and everyone else calms down, you can hear the piano. But when everyone else is just going crazy, the piano is also going, but you just yeah, cannot scary. hear it. Like it'll break your ears oh. to try and hear it. Well, it doesn't surprise me that they, that they would have emphasized the drums, bass, and guitar. Well, yeah. I mean, that was something, I, I know I'm interrupting you, but that was something I noticed throughout this album is I was more aware that I was listening to a, yep. a rock yep. band than I've been on any other album before or since. You know, I listen to Elvis concerts and it's like, yeah, it's an Elvis concert, it's this. This is like, I'm listening to a rock band at the top of their game playing live in 1969. And yeah, it's an, it's amazing, really. Well, that's also, anyway, sorry. <laughs> it does seem like that was the, the brief. This album is going to mm-hmm. be, I mean, that's what the 68 special was. It was like Elvis, look at him in his black suit doing rock and roll. Right, right. And I think that's why they removed some of the horns. Exactly. To make it way yep. more rock oriented yep. and less, That was the next thing know, I was going to say. Like they left it right at the start. Ah. <laughs> just to say, hey, this is recorded in Las Vegas. Can you tell from the horns? But then the rest of the album, not a lot. Yeah, not until you get down to In the Ghetto and Suspicious Minds mm. toward the very end. But there's great piano on this song. Uh, you just got to listen to it. <laughs> Elvis vocals are good. <laughs> he really pushes his voice. It's sometimes yeah. on this song and a few others, like you can hear him singing, mm. but it seems like what is coming out of his mouth is not enough for him. I, he's I, I like see what you mean. pushing it. He's like trying to over sing yeah. or he's trying to do something because it just sounds like what he's trying to do is more. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's got I, too I much energy what you mean. for what the song needs and it's just like coming out of his mouth. <laughs> this yeah, you're basically saying all of my notes for I can't stop loving <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, when we get to track six, I noticed especially what you're talking mm, it's about. An, it's, it's hard to explain, but I don't know. Well, he just, he's so, I can't, I have the word unleashed yeah, written a bunch of times. That's a good word. he just sounds, he, just raw and, like you said, he's pushing harder than the band is. And the band yeah. is great, but he is just so on top of everything. He's like the, um, uh, the, the lion uh, they let out of the cage or something. Yes, <laughs> un- yeah, un- the tiger un- Uncaged. Uh, <laughs> yes, very much. But yeah, what do you got? Oh, uh, that's me. Yeah, I, a lot of it I've already said. He just sounds so incredible, and he does sound like uncaged, unleashed. He's just, I'm not making any more stupid yeah. movies. I'm, this is my life now. I'm uh, not singing about a, a clam bake. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I guess of note is the first song was, like you said, written by Carl Perkins. This is a Chuck Berry song, both classic rock and roll songs, no difference between them. One was written by a white guy, one was written by a black guy. Nobody cares. Yeah. It's all rock and roll. And I love that. Uh, and that's how yep. it should be. And this is a song. I, we talked about this song because he did it on Aloha. Yes. And I said that I think Elvis identified with the story of the song about, you know, maybe your name will be in yeah. lights. And it's very much. And here he is with his name in lights. Yeah. Exactly. And I brought up at the time to me, mm-hmm. we, we read something and it said, Johnny B. Good, uh, a song synonymous with Elvis. And I'm just like, really? Is it? But it is not to <laughs> me. But it was on Aloha, which was massive. It was on this, which was a pretty big album. Right. But apart from these two... Right, and this is the first. It wasn't That's it. on many other albums, was it? I don't think it was on any other albums. I mean, this is its very first appearance. There's no mm. studio version. It was on Aloha, and that's it. I don't remember it. I don't think it came up on... Well, that's not true. I, I, I He did Johnny Be Good in the medley, some, not the medley, uh, in the introduction true, true. sometimes. With- 
early like, with school like, days and something and, else. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about Early that. Early morning rain. But I think, I mean, the only reason it's synonymous is because even though Chuck Berry wrote it, and I assume Chuck Berry was writing it autobiographically, I mean, it is still the story mm. of Elvis as well. Uh, it came from a little, I mean, not not in Louisiana, but Mississippi, and, you know, grew to be the leader of a big old band. So it, it definitely, it's a song that makes me think of Elvis. Oh, and I had mentioned the last time we talked about it that Bruce Springsteen wrote a song after Elvis died called Johnny mm. Bye Bye, which is... Uh, definitely about Elvis. He mentions Elvis by name, but it's it's a sequel to Johnny B. Good. So yeah, I, I guess it is. It has become synonymous with Elvis mm, for sure. Interesting, because it's just not I to think. me. Yeah. At all. I could pick 30 other songs, which are more... Yeah. Well, would you say yeah. it's... Maybe you would say it's synonymous with Michael J. Fox at this point. <laughs> well, I would... If anyone <laughs> said, you know, what is that word association? If somebody said Johnny B. Good, the first mm-hmm. thing I'm going to say is Chuck Berry. You right. know, maybe some right. massive Elvis fans were going to say Elvis. No, I would... It's synonymous with Elvis, except... But it's not one of Elvis's signature nah, songs. there you go. There you go. I, I mean, it's, it's a Chuck Berry song for sure. And Elvis would, you know, say that as well. It became synonymous with him as he did it live. I don't think, yeah, it, it never became a signature Elvis song. I mean, if somebody said Johnny Be Good, I'm same as you, Chuck Berry. It's not an Elvis song, but I think, yeah, it became synonymous because of the live performances and because the lyrics do kind of And I of guess if up. you went and saw Elvis 10 times, so. you would have seen Johnny Be Good a lot. <laughs> yeah, and if he sang this every time. Anyway, let's go yeah, to sure. track number three, All Shook Up by Elvis Presley. <laughs> and Otis Blackwell. Oh, yes. That's Who wrote it, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Elvis does. I think Elvis did, does get a writing credit on this song. Ah, interesting. Who's going first? You go. I'll be happy to go first. Like all the other ones, this is my favorite live version of the song. The only one that I think is even competition is the one from the 68 comeback, but it was part of a medley mm. on there. So this is definitely my favorite version of this song. It's so cool to hear him give the proper, do the yeah. proper version of the song, like do the full thing. You already mentioned that, I think, for Blue Suede Shoes. But yeah, it's just cool to hear him really do the song from start to finish instead of part of a medley or obviously rushing right through it. For years and years, I've thought that the Prince song Delirious reminded me of All Shook Up. And I know lyrically they're similar, but finally, after all these years, I overlaid Prince's keyboard part to the beginning of Delirious with Elvis's vocal line, uh-huh. and they match perfectly. So I'm saying Delirious's keyboard part is Prince playing Bless My Soul, What's Wrong With Me, A Mission Like a Man on a Fuzzy Tree on keyboards. It's all shook up. And it's interesting because it's from the very same album, 1999, that he, that he mm. borrowed the Mamas and Papas riff. But anyway, I knew <laughs> I was going to get into Prince, but, but that's all I have to say about that. Oh, I was going to say, at the time that this is going on, 1969, there's a big like roots rock revolution happening. So uh, the Summer of Love was 1967, so that was all psychedelia. By 68 and 69, there's a big reaction to psychedelia, which is to go back to basics. Kind of like after disco, they went back to basics with punk rock. So Elvis doing these songs like this, this rock concert is very much in the zeitgeist at the time. So he's not just like, oh, I'm just going to do a bunch of oldies. This is a trend in music. So he's not out of touch doing songs from the 50s. This is like really a big movement, like with Clear, Clean's Career World of Revival. And those kind of bands were getting popular at the time. So he's really riding the wave of, of it, you know? It's interesting hmm. to think the whole time that he did all the movies that... He was just doing those sort of Elvis 
you know, those sort of songs. But every year yeah. there were changes in the styles of music, but he just continued doing these sort of movie soundtrack songs, pretty much ignoring what was yeah. going on in the real world. And it just worked out magically that by the time he came back right now, it was a back to rock and roll time. Mm-hmm. So we can play all these songs. It was perfect. You're right. The timing really was perfect. I think it wasn't until the spin out soundtrack that people started to realize Elvis wasn't completely out of touch because that's the soundtrack. He did three bonus songs and one was a good blues song called Mm. Down in the Alley and one was a Bob Dylan song called Tomorrow is a Long Time. And then from there, I think Guitar Man and Big Boss Man and then the How Great Thou Art album. Like it really did kind of build to the Mm. 68 comeback and to this major live comeback. But I mean, you're pretty much right. I mean, it was nothing but soundtracks and, you know, a couple of bonus songs. They were just like little hints that Elvis was working his way back. Just like in Back to the Future (laughs) 2, where they go back to 1985 (laughs) And everything's gone crazy because Biff had the sports mm-hmm. almanac and made got himself rich. It's like Elvis right. just went down this like alternate reality and just did movie soundtracks while the rest of the world just continued on. And then he just... It, it is. It's like he was in suspended animation. And perfectly slotted back in because his yeah, old songs were exactly away. what was trending when he came back. So that's great. Precisely. Exactly right. Yeah. Anyway, that's all you got? Uh... Yeah, again, just my favorite live version. It's really good. Okay. But yeah, you've said it's so good to hear a version of this that's not a throwaway, like later in the 70s. Yeah. And you can tell just by Elvis's voice that he's really getting into this song. I mean, we're three songs in. You yeah. Know, his nervous energy might have calmed down a bit, and he's now he's just like, I'm getting into this. This is good. Yeah. I actually think this is the exact version that Prince was listening to Possibly. when he was writing Delirious. I don't think he was listening to the original mm. 1957 version. Listen I think he was actually version. listening to this. Yeah, which is um, so cool. This is where he says it's my first live appearance in nine years. Yes, right at the end, right before uh, the next track. And the only other thing I can say is we're only three tracks in. And again, I'm just wishing that there was <laughs> any professionally filmed video of yeah, this first season at international i'm pretty sure there's nothing i think there's like 30 seconds of eight millimeter i've seen on youtube oh there's more than 30 seconds there's a lot of eight millimeter stuff but it's all i mean it's not it's not, not unwatchable <laughs> but it's really not not great at all yeah it's yeah, really not it's, great I, I can tolerate some pretty bad audio or video but <laughs> yeah uh, some of that eight millimeter stuff's pretty bad it takes someone it takes yeah. someone with all the time to sit there and like get audio from a good show and match it up and do all that sync work but that's um yeah that's some work you've really got to like what you're doing and for 20 seconds of <laughs> video not really worth it yeah but wait till ai gets on oh, on that as well no i don't want because they can, I don't want they can they'll stabilize it they'll clear it up it'll be again i don't know in the next couple of years or what but i mean it's I gonna happen know. i don't think i want to see it <laughs> huh? so we got track number four we'll see it is are you lonesome tonight mm-hmm. yes it seems there are so many messing around versions of this like i think it would be pretty hard to find a word perfect version of this song except this one except and there's you know there's probably one. two yeah. or three others buried on some live recordings maybe audience recordings but you know right. almost every time like you know we're standing there without any hair you know there's all there's always some he, he right. just cannot yeah. help himself by just throwing the jokes in <laughs> which i like because you know this is not a song like yeah. it's great to have this proper version it's great to have the studio recording proper version but 
I like Elvis's sense of humor. You know, I don't have to take this song so seriously that I can't stand him messing right. around with the lyrics because it's funny. And I know there's some people who probably don't like it, but, you know, if you don't like Elvis's sense of humor, what are you even doing here? I mean, <laughs> exactly. if you only want to yeah. listen to studio stuff, that's great. That's great for you. But I'm here for the live stuff. And there's just so much of Elvis's personality and sense of humor that comes out on all the live recordings and through the lyrics that he says and the jokes that he does i don't know how you couldn't like that but i'm sure there's some you know purist i I only like the studio stuff but that's fine if that's what you want to do but um yeah i don't have much else Mm -hmm. to say it's it's a great perfect version that's it yeah that's what i've got if i could turn down that that soaring woman's voice a little bit maybe i'd do that in the mixing it's okay but just turn (laughs) it down a little bit right yeah but yeah for sheer faithfulness to the song i guess it should be my favorite version but i'm same as you i really enjoy elvis playing around and it's it's just weird to hear him do the entire spoken part yeah completely seriously it just it doesn't feel right plus the the version where he's laughing his head off takes <laughs> place like two nights later at the midnight show on on the 25th that was see that, that would have been after they told him We've already got the perfect version of Lonesome, Probably. so you can you can mess around now. Go back to normal because we've already got it. Don't worry about yeah. it. So that's the, the then he went out there and just laughed through the entire song, <laughs> laughing at the woman with the high voice. I think because <laughs> at one point he's like, "Sing it, baby." Um, <laughs> but yeah, this version—it's funny because this is a song that I honestly don't have any idea of Elvis himself especially Mm. liked. I mean, everything I've ever heard was it was recorded because Colonel Parker's wife, it was her favorite song. And it's a song from like the 20s. And I've I've never gone back and heard the original. But it was a song from the 20s that Colonel Parker's wife loved and that allegedly Elvis recorded it for that reason. And every single time other than this one, I've ever heard him sing it, Mm. he screws around with it. There's even a there's even a live version from 1961, the one of his the last the second to last concert he did before he went into the movie exile. And even on that live version, he changes one line to instead of you've changed. uh, What was it? You seem to change. You acted strange, whatever. In in that version, he says you seem to change. You got fat. Uh, I've heard that one. (laughs) I think that might be one. Is that a Hawaii show? It is. That 1961 in Hawaii. I'd listened to that not that long ago. And yeah, it's... Even then, he couldn't do it straight. Uh, So... You know, I I listened to that and with... (laughs) Even though I don't think this way, with 2023, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't say this or that. Just to hear someone say that, it was sort of jarring to my ears, even though I don't (laughs) care. I think it's funny. But I know if, you know, the general public yeah. heard that today, they'd be like, oh, that's it. Elvis is cancelled. That's it. He's gone. Yeah, they, they would be very offended. It's body shaming. Uh, it's, it's this and that, which uh, it sort of is, but yeah. it's, it's a joke. It's in a song. Yeah. He also sang it in 1977 when he himself <laughs> yes. could be described as fat. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's just screwing around. But yeah, I, to be honest, I'm the same as you. I kind of don't like this version, even though there's technically nothing wrong with it. It's just it doesn't have his. It's it's a you know what it is. It's, it. it's, it's sterile. Kinda, there's yeah, no yeah. It there's is. none it of is. Elvis's personality. I, I wouldn't be surprised if every single other version from this he this, screwed it up <laughs> uh, season has jokes in it. I I really wouldn't be surprised because this yeah it, it's very odd to hear him sing it this way. And like I said, I've been praising the other songs that he's done faithfully, but yeah, this one I don't like this one to be honest. I'd much rather hear him laughing mm. or, you know, making jokes about the stage is yeah. bare and I've got no hair or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. 
Like I said, technically it's great, but it's, yeah, this is definitely, I would much rather hear most other versions of Are You Lonesome Tonight just because they're Imagine more Imagine a concert where the whole show was done like that. Wouldn't that be an awful show? Oh, just straight? Yes. I can't imagine him. This, you, you know, the closest thing I could think to Honestly. that is, is Aloha. Yeah. Because it's a very oh, a stick to the script. Yeah. There's cameras, there's a billion people. Not really, but you that's know, true. but that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's one of my negatives about Aloha from Hawaii is it's just so straight and it's sterile stiff. and just stick to the script and don't move and don't sing any jokes and don't do this. And it's like, ah, uh, but somehow that is still, you yeah. know, one of the biggest shows he ever did probably along with 68. Well, and it's yeah. so, so different. They are so well, totally different. Think about that. They're the, he's two yeah. probably most famous appearances that he's ever done that I can think of. Mm-hmm. One, one he's wearing black leather. One he's wearing like a, a white suit. Yeah, they right. are, and one he's really loose and one yeah. he's really strict. It's amazing that they are so different. And they're what, they five are. years apart. Um, but his book, bo- yeah. Four and a uh, bit. Five. <laughs> Maybe right. five. Yeah, but it's his, I mean, his voice was so good oh, yeah. that it could carry through anything. You know what I mean? Because I agree that Aloha is very stiff. But man, mm. when he sings What Now My Love or... Or uh, American Trilogy or whatever. It's still he still can blow the place apart. So so let's go. Let's go to track number five. It is Hound Dog. I'm going to say yes. the word great a lot in in this whole yeah the whole okay. rest of this <laughs> album. I think the intro to this is great. Mm-hmm. Yes, I looked a square in the eye because that's all she had. One big square eye, and she just looked around. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That is <laughs> hilarious to me. <laughs> you should hear what they've cut out. They cut out him. He completely did a oh, Red okay. Fox joke. And, you know, Red Fox, especially at the time, was a very mm. nasty comedian, a very dirty comedian. And I was so shocked when I heard one of the outtakes, not outtakes, one of the other live shows. He does the, I got up real close to her and it was a real tender, touching moment. And I said to her, baby, baby. And she said, deeper, deeper. And so I said, baby, baby. <laughs> they cut that out. <laughs> that is excellent. <laughs> I couldn't believe Elvis said... And I immediately recognized it because my dad used to yeah. have these Red Fox albums with like with all these dirty pictures on the front and stuff. And so I was fascinated by him. And and if you look at old footage of like the the marquee at the International, Red Fox mm. is playing in one of the lounges. And another super weird thing, Red Fox was the only celebrity that attended Elvis's oh, wow. wedding. If that's not the weirdest piece of trivia of all time, I don't know what is. I don't know why he was there. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know Vo- Red Fox was in Vegas all the time, and this was 1967. But how the hell he ended up at Elvis's wedding, I have no idea. But Elvis obviously liked him. It's interesting. Some big musicians, they are also like big comedy fans. Like Prince. Mm, yeah. Well, again, we're yeah, talking yeah. about Prince. We all know Prince. Uh. Love like, Dave, like Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. He makes references yeah. to yeah. them throughout his career, and it's um, it's just interesting that they've, you know, they've obviously got some things in common. Like we go up on stage and we do a thing yeah. to the audience, and you know, they must have some sort of I don't know, yeah. simpatico, whatever the word is. But yeah. it's um, yeah, interesting. yeah, I must made like a, just a desire to make yeah. people happy, or you know, to entertain or whatever. And Elvis, God knows, he oh, loved yeah. to laugh, as we know. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he liked Red Fox, but it really shocked me when he <laughs> on the stage did the d- well, deeper, deeper. You can line. take I was that innocently. Really shocked, man. Or it depends how your brain works. <laughs> if you want to take it another way, yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I interrupted burr, burr, burr. you. But yeah, when he does those, like the joke that's on here about the big square eye, like sometimes I think, Once. oh, this is just dumb. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just dumb. It's just goofy. <laughs> yeah. But then I think, 
but that's Elvis. That's mm-hmm. his sense of humor. We just have to take yeah, that for what it is. It. That's just how he was. <laughs> but then sometimes yeah. I think, like you said, they, they do cut stuff out when they put out these official albums. Yeah. And then there are some times where he says something which sort of sounds like a joke, but there's zero reaction from the audience. <laughs> but all the band laugh because they're paid yeah. to sit there and be his, <laughs> right. his flunkies. So, of course, they laugh. They're getting paid. But the audience are just like... That's dumb. And that's a weird sort of aspect that I feel sometimes. I don't think I've... Yeah, I don't think I've... I heard, I heard it on this album a little bit and something else we've done. There's such yeah. weird editing on this album. But it just seems sometimes there's things that Elvis says that the audience don't get, but the band do. Maybe it's just an in-joke. Maybe they've heard it three times before, so they know that it's funny. Right. But when you just hear it out of context for the first time right. on a stage by a performer, you're just like, what's that mean? It's, um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, when we get to, I think we're like two songs away from one where they, the editing during Elvis's spoken parts on this album is is weird and kind of haphazard to me. Like right before, well, we haven't gotten to it, but right before the song My Babe, he's clearly doing the mm. intro to I Got a Woman, which was cut out. And then there's a part where he just kind of makes a humming noise and then the audience yeah. laughs. And it's like, what? what's that? I, yeah. I feel like that We've was just bad We've got to go back editing. to those original uh, shows. I mean, yeah, I'm going to do that. I, I'm definitely going to do that. But uh, Hound Dog, yeah, um, were you finished with Hound Dog? Am I? It's a great version. It's not a throwaway. <laughs> Again, you can say that about most songs on this album. Mm-hmm. James' guitar, what James is playing is just so precise. Just the rhythm guitar yeah. that that guy can play, it's just perfect. Yeah, he's great at solos too, but rhythm, yeah. he's also just great. Again, the piano is really good on this, but it's buried in the mix. It's not that easy to hear. Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of the albums like this. You can hear the piano at some points, but when everything's going hard, you just it's just buried. But it's a great version, especially just the first... Yeah line of the song he just screams it unbelievably and like (laughs) yes anyway that's all i got yeah same this is i mean this is a song i almost never enjoy and this is so good this version of it is i mean the only other version that compares to it in my mind is the version he did on the milton burl show like in 1956 but other than that one, this is the best version of the song. I always complain that he doesn't do mm. the I said you were high class part, and I still wish he would instead of repeating himself, but I don't care. Uh, do you think he just forgot that? <laughs> I don't know. Because he wonder. would have recorded it once in the studio, played it a few times live back in the 50s, yeah. went off to the army, did all the movies, and then when he brought it back, he might not have gone back and listened to the original. He would he could have just done it from memory and just forgot that whole line. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to remember the concert from 1961, that one in Hawaii. He ends it. Yeah, he ends on Hound Dog, but I kind of think he doesn't. I kind of think he just repeats... Mm. Just like he does here. I don't think he does the said you were high class part. But yeah, this this is just Hound Dog is always the song I skip when I'm listening to an Elvis concert, you know, or frequently. But not this version. This is just a fantastic version. It reminds me that this is actually a, a great rock song or a great rock and roll song anyway. Maybe not lyrically, but it's just a great song. Yeah, and this is my favorite version uh, that was released during his lifetime. How about after uh, James solo? When Elvis comes back, he's like, (laughs) it's just, again, he's just got so much energy, (laughs) like flying out of his body and it just comes out of his mouth. He just cannot control it. Yes. It's like he's, yeah, Yeah. it's like he's choking it back or something. It's like, yeah, it's fantastic. It really is. So that's it. That's Hound Dog. I have nothing else to say. Okay, then. I think so. Track six. I can't stop loving you. Can't. If you're American. 
But you've got can't, to be careful when Americans say can't. It doesn't right. sound quite right. <laughs> but to me, it's just normal. Mm. No, it could be it dangerous. It can get dangerous. <laughs> I really like in this song where he says, and I can't and I won't. Ah, you get the same notes. that's okay. not the line. But it's, it's really good. Yeah, he does it twice. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Elvis's voice is just spot on. But the, I don't have that much to say about this song, except that the funniest part is at the end. Okay. There is some insane screaming woman. Yeah, can you tell what they're yelling? And it really sounds like she was just being dragged <laughs> no. down the aisle by security to get her out of there. That's what it sounds like. I don't know, but that's what it <laughs> I, sounds for, like. For years, I've tried no. to figure out what she's saying, and I don't have a clue, even with headphones. I think she's just deranged. <laughs> Who yeah, knows? Just, ah, ah, <laughs> but it just really sounds like they're just dragging <laughs> her away, like, shut up, lady. <laughs> You're ruining yeah. the show, shut up. Because there's like a quiet part near the end yeah. and then you just hear her just losing it. It's just, it's so funny. It's the best part of the song. <laughs> it is. And, and I love that Elvis pauses there because you can tell he's listening mm. even without seeing him. It's like in dreams of yester. And then he's just like pauses for a minute. Like what what's going on, out, going on there? out there? <laughs> yeah, it's great. This is probably the only track on here that I feel like, well, I, I really feel like the band is not up to speed with Elvis. And I think... Later on, in fact, this is one of the only live versions that I do prefer later live versions mm. and that I don't think this is the best one. And it's because the band is playing way softer than Elvis wants to go. You, you can tell Elvis wants to just really rock the hell out of mm. this and scream it. And I guess they rehearsed it slower. I mean, they do change it by the time we're in the next season or two. This song is much harder rocking than it is well, here. Here's my theory on that. When they do it in rehearsal, he's not screaming his head off. Exactly. He's singing yeah. it calmly. So that's how they're playing it. But yeah, right. this is 40 plus shows in, so they should have realized by now, <laughs> this song needs a bit more energy yeah. from the band because Elvis is giving that. Yeah. But they seem to still sit back behind yeah. him. I think after and he's, he's you know, years together, they, they really get to the point where they know what Elvis's mood is from like the first note or two, and they adjust accordingly. Mm. And at this point, I guess... Even though they've played 40 shows together, they're still a new band and not quite not quite following yeah. Elvis tightly like they do later. Oh, uh, yeah. But but other than that, I mean, yeah, Elvis's vocal is phenomenal. The, the, the whole thing is phenomenal. It, my only complaint is, yeah, I would like to hear a little more Ronnie and a little more drums. <laughs> a, a little, little bit more of that screaming woman. Yeah, yeah. I really want to hear that, what she that says. That is great, man. <laughs> I would like to figure out what the hell she says. But. I, I, I wonder on the actual unedited version if there's any further. Like Elvis might say something after yeah. that's cut out and he's like, what was all that about? We'll get to that. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Because this song appears to go into I Got a Woman, but it, it doesn't. So, yeah, I don't know what could have been cut out between those two. So then we go to track number seven. It's my called baby. My, it's my Baby. My Baby. baby. My babe. Last track on side A, if you got your mm -hmm. vinyl, or I guess a cassette as well. Starts off with the piano and the bass. Again, you can hear the piano perfectly at the start, but then yeah. once everyone else is going, it's like, where's the piano gone? Oh, it's there. You just got to turn <laughs> turn your ears up to 50 to hear it. Right. But yeah, the piano sounds great, if you can hear it. We right. get some great notes from Elvis, especially when, when he's shouting out the chorus. It's um And the bass, just the sound of the bass. It's really nice. But um, you go. Well, yeah, I, the beginning of it bothers me just because he's clearly doing the beginning of I Got a Woman, and instead of I Got a Woman... They just play my babe. Bad edit. And that, yeah, that bugs me. I like the song. It's just one of the only tracks that I tend to forget about. It reminds me a lot of Baby, What Do You Want Me To Do? Which mm. is just kind of a, kind of a blues jam without a lot of lyrics. It's a cool song with a, a long history because it, it's very similar to the song Green Onions, the 
Booker T and the MGs oh. instrumental. And that was based on an older religious song called This Train. And then like this particular song has like 10 other offshoot songs with like different lyrics. Mm. And it's a really interesting song and it's perfect for Elvis because it, it's, you know, it's this southern blues kind of thing. But yeah, I guess overall, it's not the one that I really remember. It's two minutes and 12 seconds. Of course, most everything on this album is like two and a half minutes. So yeah, I, don't, I, I guess I don't I don't have anything negative to say about it. I probably have the least amount to say about this song. I like it, but it does. It reminds me of Baby, What I, What Do You Want Me To Do? Mm. Which kind of feels a little bit like, I hate to say filler, because this album is too good to say anything as filler. But this is maybe not my favorite. This, this could <laughs> be a lyrics thing, because there's... Yeah, it's not much. I don't care about the lyrics that much. So to me, this is just another song. Yeah. Elvis is singing great, the song, the, the music's, the band's great. So it's fine for me. But if you're here listening for yeah. like some deep meanings in lyrics, you're not going to get it from this. And there are, there, I guess there are a few. Yeah, no, with the lyrics... They're just like straight rock yeah. and roll or blues songs. The lyrics are oh, really... Yeah. like how... Not yeah, how dog. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics don't matter at all. Yeah, no, it's not the lyrics. And usually my whole hang up about lyrics is much more with the studio stuff because with the live stuff, it's a performance. And so I'm not really, so no, it's not the lyrics. It's just, um, gosh, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even intending to be negative about it. I just mean compared to everything before and after it on this album, mm. it's a little bit in my mind, slightly lesser, but I mean, it's still awesome. That's it. So, so then let's go to side B. Yes. Get your vinyl. Side B. Side two. Mm-hmm. If you've got a CD, it's still track number eight. Yes. It's Mystery Train and Tiger yeah, Man. I love this. What do you I got love for this, this one? Um, it's, it's so cool that he did any of the Sun songs. Whenever he did the Sun stuff live, it was fun. I liked That's Alright Mama in when he did it in the 68 special. I like when he does Trying to Get to You and Mystery Train is awesome. This is one where I think the, do the horns come back and make like some train noises? Yes. It's, or does somebody not, have like a weird train whistle? It's buried. Yeah. The train sounds are but there. Like the cool. choo-choo train sounds are there, but it's mixed yeah. so low. I think on the left, it's you can barely hear yeah. it. So yeah, they definitely have fiddled around in the mixing with the horns. Yeah. Well, side two is interesting because the horns get progressively, like the horns start to come back in, I guess a little bit on Mystery Train. Words, I think might have, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but the next few songs, I think have more strings and horns. It's like the rock show gets bigger and bigger. This, uh, I know it wasn't, but it's a question I've got to ask because there's n- mm-hmm. we know there's never that much thought put into these things. But do you think that was the intention for the album? Because they already saw Elvis's future in the Elvis signed the contract for five years. Yeah. So we're going to have horns. So progressively, slowly through this album, the horns get more and more prominent to prepare you for the next time you saw or heard Elvis, where there were horns everywhere. It starts mm, off as the early Elvis rock and roll stuff and then gets right. into the I more think that and more. was very much on purpose. Oh, really? That we got bigger and... Just for the album though, or setting up Elvis's uh, image for the future. For the album. I don't no. no, I don't think they could have thought that far ahead. I don't think even Elvis thought I'm going to be doing big horn arrangements for the rest of my <laughs> life. No, I think it was just this album. I think this actually was a very cleverly sequenced album. As much as I've got some complaints about some of the actual specific edits, I think the track listing and the way it goes from, from the early days, from the early stuff, from rock and roll, to the newer rockabilly stuff. to yeah. yeah. 
I'd never noticed that. I never even noticed that oh, I, sort of the way that they've sequenced it. But that is really good, actually. Yeah. I, I think at this stage in his career, they really were thinking a lot. I mean, because he's shifting. I mean, he's all of a sudden wants to become taken seriously as an artist, whereas he was not before. And so, yeah, I think back to Memphis, from Elvis in Memphis and this album and the singles that were coming out at the same time were all the one point in his career where people really were thinking very seriously. <laughs> and then not about, long after it's like things. autopilot. Yep. I, I, I do think that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah, I love, I love Mr. Train. Love when he would do those songs. Uh, it was very cool to hear Tiger Man as well, which the only time he'd ever done Tiger Man previously was at the 68 comeback. And it wasn't included on that album. It was like a, it was on like, well, it was on a weird album called Singer Sewing Machine Presents Flaming Star. Well, the thing with the 68 comeback specials, there was the original album, but there's been so many like deluxe editions and everything yes. since, which have like all the full shows. So it's all out there on some version. Right, right. So that was his first Tiger Man was on that. And so, yeah, it's cool that... And Tiger Man was a song he could have recorded when he was at Sun because I think it came out it in like sounds 54 like it's or one of those tracks, doesn't it? Yeah. It, and, it, and it was... I think it was released on the Sun label by whoever the original artist was. But yeah, it's cool. It's definitely one of his reaching back to the Sun Years basics, rock and roll classic. Good way to start Side B. I agree. I've already said yeah. it, but Elvis's voice just sounds so great in this show, but on this song as well, because he's still pushing his voice. Like he just cannot get the vocals yeah. out of his body quick enough, but he's pushing it just enough. <laughs> he's getting like a little yeah. gravelly distorted sound to his vocal without going too far and making it sound crazy. But it's, oh, it just sounds really mm -hmm. good. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I love that we're hearing all the same James stuff. Burton on guitar just amazing in this song and then at the end you've got that way back way back mm -hmm. that's good that's a good end yeah. that's cool but yeah that's all I got and then we can go to the next track okay. it's track number nine it is words a Bee Gees track which yes. just sounds strange even saying yes. it I know it does. I'll go first just because I think I can okay. say this is probably my least favorite track on okay. this album there's nothing really wrong okay. with it the backing vocals is slightly loud mm -hmm. again but it's fine I just I don't particularly like mm -hmm. the song it's nothing to do with Elvis I just don't love it like everything else on here mm -hmm. it does have hints of that big dramatic thing yeah. that he really leans into later on other songs but this mm -hmm. this song has probably one of my least favorite endings to any song Elvis ever did and it, that's that that Hardaway bit because I remember there was some rehearsal oh you're right where he yeah. was telling them you know mm -hmm. do it like this do the Hardaway yeah. and I, I just hate it I think it's such uh -huh. a dumb end I really don't like it <laughs> and so anytime I hear <laughs> okay. this song even from the first like 10 seconds I'm like oh this is that bloody Hardaway song <laughs> and I just I just I hate it from the start <laughs> because I know it's coming and I just really don't like it Oh, I don't know. It's just something about it. I don't know. That's all I could say. I don't, yeah. It's not my favorite either. But, you know, like, like we've both been saying, everything on this album is just high quality. And so even the, the least favorites are head and shoulders above a lot of other things. Again, this is much more to do with the sequencing. I like that suddenly he throws a contemporary hit yeah. by a British band into this concert right after like doing these mm. two super oldies from like 1955 that he does this contemporary thing. Like you said, it's it's not my favorite track either, but it doesn't screw up the flow. Like, I mean, I think sequencing, I mean, I think it works where it is. And I think it's really smart. I mean, to go from, like I said, the old stuff, then this, this song by the Bee Gees, mm. uh, which was a contemporary hit in 1968. Oh. 
And then the next track is a con- another contemporary hit. Basically, the next two tracks are like his latest singles. Yeah, and I think mm. it, it puts him in such great context, you know? I'm kind of like you. It's it's not really my favorite of the songs on here, but I do think it works very much in context. And again, at a time when I think people were thinking about the sequencing and thinking about things a lot more seriously, I think it's a it's a well-placed song. And there's nothing wrong with it either. I'm a I'm a bit like you. It's not really my favorite, oh. even though the ending doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. I never even thought about it, really. It's just like there. Like he does but that yeah, on other you, songs. I, I see your point. But <laughs> I don't have a problem with those. I don't know why this one annoys me. It could be the yeah. word choice. Well, if you don't love this. I mean, hard away by itself means nothing. Yeah. It's not like it's um. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. A, a sentence that makes any sense. It's just two words at the end of a previous right. line. They mean nothing by themselves. So why? Re- I don't know why they're there. Yeah, you know, the, the more you talk about it, the more the, the less I like the song. <laughs> the more I'm agreeing with you. It, it is a, a weird you ending. Know, BGs are not known for that. They're known for all the disco and Saturday Night Fever. But I guess early years they were doing stuff like this because this is, a, you know, late 60s, early 70s. This is the sort of stuff that we're doing, I guess, yeah. before all the disco stuff came in. But that's not what they're known for. Do you know the song, I Started a Joke? Oh, vaguely. I can't hear it, but I do know the title. I must have heard it. That's one of their early songs that I I like. Yeah, they were nothing like disco until Mm. like the late 70s. I'm not a big Bee Gees person. I had like one Bee Gees greatest hits, which was their early stuff. And so, yeah, they really they became known for disco, but they weren't until like, you know, Saturday Night Fever. Isn't it funny that, you know, the disco era of the Bee Gees was probably only a couple of years, but that is what they are worldwide known for mm-hmm. is that tiny section for. of their career. All the 60s, early 70s, uh, who remembers that? Who remembers that You Win Again song? <laughs> right. Not many people, but I do. Well, I, I did like the song I Started a Joke. In fact, if you ever listen to it, you'll understand why I like it because it's super depressing. It's a very depressing song. But I heard that first and I had no idea it was the Bee Gees. And when somebody said it was the Bee Gees, I thought they were wrong because it wasn't disco. So, yeah, I discovered like early Bee Gees is not disco at all. Mm. It's very a lot of it's acoustic. A lot of it's sad. Yeah, their early stuff. Bee Gees is probably worth investigating if I ever. Oh, I just looked up. I just looked it up. You win again. 1987. It's not disco. But I I know that song because that was my Mm-mm. peak radio listening time when I was like 10 years old. I would listen to the radio every night for like yeah, five hours. Yeah. And that song I must have heard a, a million times. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. See, I did that as well when I was that age, except for me, I had a cassette oh, yeah. player. So I would record stuff off the radio. And then I'd go to record stores and be like, I'd play like 10 seconds of the end of a song and be like, what is this? I want to buy this song. Uh, that's how I, the song If by the group Bread, that was how I discovered them. I heard like the, the ending of that song and I'm like, oh, this is cool and recorded it and like brought the tape to a, a place called Goldmine Records. That's long gone. Oh, wow. Played it and they're like, oh, here you go. And they pulled out the single. You couldn't do that now. It was so cool when record stores were like that. Can you imagine Uh -uh. these days taking a a song into a music shop and playing it to someone? They wouldn't have a clue. They would have no clue what that song was because no. And there's an app for that anyway. Most people who work in music shops these days, you know, they're just teenagers. They're just there to get their money and sell some product. They don't know anything about the music. Yeah, it used to be where yeah, the people who worked at a record store, you had an encyclopedic knowledge of music. Not anymore. No, well now there's an app. You catch ten seconds of a song you play oh that for the app. Uh, shazam or something yeah, it'll just identify it for you you don't have yeah. to know things so anyway okay that's all i've got for words 
So that's words. Yes. Let's go. Track 10. It's in the ghetto. Here it is, the massive song. I actually don't have much to say because it's always hard to talk about such a mm. such an epic sort of thing. It's like, what can you even say? And we did just talk about the studio version, uh, which is true, not true. not much different than the live version. I'll start with the little negative first. I think there might be too much reverb on the backing mm, vocals. Yeah, uh, just a little thing, but that's mm-hmm. there. But yeah, this song, you really start to notice the, the horns and the strings. Right. They're mixed well. Everything sounds good. Elvis sounds good. But I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's um It's a great version. I don't know. What what do you got? Help me. Um, I've got very little as well because we kind of said it all during the studio version. It's a great song. It's a classic song. It's been slightly ruined by South Park. Uh, Other, other, just the word ghetto has got such a weird connotation. Isn't that amazing how a show like South Park? (laughs) Yeah can do something like that yeah well i always hear cartman singing it i cannot hear oh holy night without hearing yeah. cartman sing it <laughs> yeah. i cannot hear um the name matt damon without hearing it in that south park voice <laughs> there's there's so many things like dude they just said it a couple of times and that's it it's in the world yeah. and everybody thinks it it's crazy the, <laughs> the power especially back in like the late 90s the first like oh, four so five six years massive. of that show yeah. were just everybody huge. had stickers in their car i had stickers on my car uh, south park stickers. yeah but yeah i'm the same way i, I hear cartman doing the in the ghetto, uh, in the ghetto. <laughs> exactly instead of the girls voices i hear cartman every time <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i mean if you can subtract if you can get that out of your head i mean it's a great song for the time i completely understand why elvis dropped it from the live shows because it's a little heavy uh the message is a little yeah. heavy for a fun concert and so I, I i understand why he dropped it yeah, this is, to me, like, you know, just about a perfect live version, very similar to the mm. studio version. Was this the one that had a d- possible different oh, title? Oh, this is The Vicious Circle. That's yeah, the, the subtitle. One. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mac Davis wrote it. And, but yeah, other than I, I think it was, again, very smart to place this recent hit by the British group, the Bee Gees, followed by a recent hit by Elvis and just sort of, you know, blurring the lines between all that, that Elvis mm. is as contemporary as the Bee Gees at the time. And I, I just, yeah, I just think the track listing is, is smart and the sequencing. But I don't have much else to yeah, say. Yeah, before you mentioned that, I never even, maybe subconsciously I noticed, but I didn't, I haven't got yeah. it written anywhere that they start off with the old songs and then get into the new stuff. It's really good when you look at it that way. And, and the instruments grow, which yeah. is also fascinating. I mean, Blue Suede Shoes yeah. starts with the horn thing, but then those horns are gone until... Side B, like really. Yeah, a little bit in Mystery Train, then a little bit more with the strings in, in the ghetto and... Well, we know what's so next. Let's go so. to track 11. It's Suspicious Minds. Seven and a half minutes, as oh, every yeah. single review will yes. mention. You know what I'm going to say about yeah. There's two things I'm going to say about this song. Well, drums yeah, the bass. bass. The bass drums? is just. <laughs> yeah. It's the best bass playing on this entire show, on this entire album. If you can just listen to the bass on this, especially mm. like the second half of the track when like things are building and building, the bass is just going insane. And yeah. it's, I was it's, so it's focused the on the bass, well. I didn't even notice. I cannot listen to this and just not hear mm. the bass. Like, I've got very little notes about anything else yeah. in this song. 
Like I can listen to this all day and I just hear the bass. That's all I can hear. Again, being a, a, the proper yeah. version recorded for the for the album, we don't get Shove It Up Your Nose, which I don't think he'd started yet at this point, maybe. Maybe that came right. a bit, a well, bit there's later. Well, no, there's no JD yet. Oh, so we've yeah. got the Imperials and uh, somebody else backing him. But but the Stamps with uh, JD, they, they're not there You know yet, what we so. really need to get to recording, talking about, is I can't think which era it is, but there was a few years when why me lord was always in the set list those that sort right. of couple of years or whatever it was they are the shows that i've probably heard the most of out of any era when he was doing he mm-hmm. was doing why me lord he was doing what are those olivia newton john songs let me be there uh, that sort there of the era and, when that, all that stuff was the in the set one. list see so, yeah 74 late, on i think mid to late 70s is my i think my favorite time probably mid probably mid because even oh. later like 76 77 it had changed mm. again was right. there any live stuff That's released true. then i don't think there was oh we yeah. already did it yeah we did the from elvis the, the very long title the mid-south coliseum in memphis Tennessee. oh yes we did that we did that a hundred yes, years that, ago that has that. Uh, why me lord on yeah. it and uh i think it's got let me be there and let me be there whatever the I, other, I keep I thinking if not for you john one but then I get then I get confused with like George Harrison and Bob Dylan and no, it's, it's like how that. many versions and Bob of this Dylan, song? Right? <laughs> no, it's another. It sound it's similar to Let Me Be There. If you love me, let me know. That's the one. Yeah, that's the yeah. Other one. Those two. Anyway, yeah. it's suspect a suspicious right. mind. <laughs> yeah. Here's my question: Is it too long? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that's my answer. My answer is the simple no. answer is no. Because after about yeah. I don't know three three and a half minutes mm. it's just the same it just repeats over and over it does build yeah. it does change a little bit but pretty much just the same from then on which is fine because i can listen to that bass because the bass keeps doing different things but if it wasn't for yeah. that i don't know if it'd keep my interest i mean it's i mean he hadn't gotten to uh poke silent annie yet and so i feel like this was his this long jam encompasses song. yeah this encompasses what poke silent annie would also be later but it all had to be part of suspicious minds at this point because he hadn't gotten a poke salad so yeah i feel like it that long ending makes me think of mm. what he would later do with poke salad annie and so i like it and i've read a couple of things he started performing this live in vegas 26 days before the single yeah. came out and so one story i heard is he went to to felton and said oh i really like playing around with the audience and making them think the song's going to end and then bringing it back again and then and so felton put a a fake fade out on suspicious uh-huh. minds and then it faded back in and chips Moman, the guy at american sound was very angry about this and said it was a scar <laughs> on the song and said that it was a power control thing from felton jarvis and so i don't know if it's true that elvis wanted the fade out or felton was just doing it to screw around because he didn't like the fact that elvis recorded at american mm. sound with chips but the first story I heard was Elvis had been doing it live and doing this long extended ending and wanted it on the, the record. And it, it had been done before. Like, I think the Beatles had, I think Helter Skelter has a, a, a fake fade out and then comes back in or, you know, he wasn't mm. the first to do the fake fade out. But it's one of the one of the songs that people point to when they talk about it. I, yeah, this is my favorite live version of Suspicious Minds. I actually like the lack of shove it up your nose and <laughs> I never lied to you, no, not much. And I like the tempo that this one's taken at. This is, to me, the like yeah. definitive live version. I always enjoy it, but this is the one. Yeah, the drums, the horns, just everything is crazy toward the end of the song. I kept waiting this whole concert because I know Ronnie Tutt is on drums and so I'm, yeah. I'm listening for him to really go nuts. 
and I kind of expected it. it. Yeah, I expected it on a few of the earlier songs, and he, he's good on Hound Dog as well, but he really goes nuts. <laughs> he really goes nuts on Suspicious Minds toward the end. And just, yeah, it's, everything is just perfect. I, I noticed that the background singers actually sing the line, don't you know, you know, toward the end where mm. he keeps going, don't you know, caught in a trap. It's for some reason the only live version I ever noticed that. I always noticed, or I always thought it was just Elvis doing that line, but there's like male vocalists singing along with the don't you know on here, which is, it's I actually, just see, an observation. The difference really. to some other mm-hmm. tracks, this song, I really do like what the backing vocals are doing. They're doing, like they've got yeah, a whole chorus thing going, like there's some doing this part, there's some doing another part, Elvis is doing his part, and I really mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the whole thing that's and going on And there's a clear there. separation between the male yeah. vocalists, backing vocalists, and yep. the female backing vocalists, and a lot of times they're all together. Yeah, it's well produced, it's well, just the whole thing is great. I think I noticed one weird thing, and I can't. I think it's at the end of this track. The way the applause is separated is super weird. Like I, I can literally hear one oh, yeah. person clapping loudly. Yep. In my everyone in my else left on the ear, right, yeah. and like a smattering of applause on the right that side. That is a bit weird. Very weird at the end. Other than that, yeah, this to me, this is the the live version of Suspicious yeah. Minds. As much as I like shove it up your nose and him messing around. It's always good to just have one (laughs) great straight version, which Mm. is like this album is full of those songs like that. It's like, this is, is. these are the best (laughs) versions of these songs live. I'm not messing around. If you want to hear them live, this is for you. If you want to hear all the comedy, there's going to be a lot more of that later on. (laughs) Okay. Last track. Last track track of the album. Last track on side B. Track 12. Can't help falling in love. I literally don't even have anything written. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll start because I have very little. I'll just say that. It's one of the better versions. We've got a thousand oh, yes. versions of this. He always pretty much every show from now um, until yeah, the, pretty the, much. The, I think the 26th he did the June, uh, Impossible Dream at one or two shows mm. in 1972 as the ending, but but they didn't really stick. This uses the exact same uh, arrangement with the strings and the the violins going as the 68 comeback version. Yeah. And the, the 68 comeback version is my favorite version of this song, even more than the studio version. I love the way he did it a year before. And this one's fine. It's just that he's, you know, he just got through doing an entire concert. He's a little out of breath. So he's, he's doing it more the way he does it later on, where he's just kind of trying to think of the right word. To, he, he's just a little out of breath and is not fully committed the way he is at the 68 version. Because, you know, he knows the show is over. He kind of lets the background vocals mm. Oh, yeah, I did notice that. Him we don't end, get him on the end. Yeah. He just... No, he kind of yeah. drops out. Yeah, I, I did um, notice that. I mean, you know, there's not much you can say about it. it. It's one of the better live versions. It's one of the more committed ones. And I like the arrangement. The arrangement changed as the 70s went on and we lost the string part mm. and I like the string part. So that's it. Yeah, that's all I, I think got for, the, for that one. In later years, I think as soon as this song started, mm-hmm. he had already like checked out. He was already thinking about his his <laughs> yeah, fried peanut butter bacon <clears throat> banana sandwiches or something. When, as soon as this song started, he could he could smell it. He was like, I cannot wait to get out there <laughs> Maybe. and eat something. That's what I think. Who knows? Could be. Now, this one is taken from the dinner show. Mm. So oh, he may- He's watching people eating. Playing to people eating always seems like such a weird... 
It's like even when I go and see comedy shows sometimes and there's, I just think from the comedian's point of view, you don't have their full attention. They're sort of half focused on you and, you know, they're half focused on their food. And, you know, the comedian will hear some laughs, but they're also hearing all the clattering of cutlery. And it's like, that's, that's not a good situation for a comedian. I don't know why that sort of whole (laughs) arrangement still exists. It's like, don't have that. And for (laughs) all the audience noise that's clear on this, I don't hear one single, you know, fork Mm. or glass or plate or anything. I don't know if they went through it. And well, see, I don't know. I mean, this is the dinner show that I don't necessarily know if that really means they were serving dinner or if it was just called the dinner show. Ah, possibly. That's something we should look up because that'd be interesting. I think they might have dinner before. That's what I was saying. Maybe the doors open have dinner. If Elvis is on stage at six, maybe dinner's at five or 5.15. And then by the time, you know, everyone's finished in, you know, 20 minutes because people just shove food in their face. 20 to to six, they clear in all the plates. (laughs) And then by six o'clock, it's silent. That makes sense. I mean, that would make much more sense than people sitting there eating a steak, (laughs) listening to Elvis sing Suspicious Minds. It just, yeah, it makes no sense. So, no, yeah, no, I bet that's the deal. The better, you, could have, you should have said in the ghetto there. You're sitting there eating this giant steak <laughs> yeah. and Elvis is yeah, up there true. singing about all the poor people who haven't Drinking got anything. champagne. And, and you're shoving food in your face watching a <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah, in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's, um, that's that show. The, yeah, great it's show. the outro, um, it's the conclusion. So I can just say things I've already said, which is what we usually do anyway. The sequencing right. is something I hadn't really noticed until you said it, and that's still blowing my mind now because we've gone through all those 70s albums yeah. where it seems like there was not a lot of thought put into any aspect of it, the artwork, right. the sequencing, the editing, anything. <laughs> and here it seems like this is the plan this is a good idea. This is what we're going to do. And that's still amazing yeah. me since you said yeah. it. Well, I'm still amazed by what you said on the previous podcast. That oh, this is the, just the light the second, and the dark. The other half. Yeah, this is just one half mm. of an album. I never really, I mean, I knew it, but I never thought about it like that. I think it makes Back in Memphis an even better album with this as sort of a mm. counterpoint. I just, yeah, I think they really work well together. In fact, I'm seriously considering looking into buying that vinyl album because it's one of the few Mm. things I don't have. I have the separate ones, but I don't have them together. And I mean, it's pointless, but (laughs) but I seriously I'm thinking I would like to have that one more for the collection. Yeah, just stick it up there with the rest. So I'll just say that's why this is a good show. I say a thing. You didn't know, I and and vice versa. And was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, look at that. Neither of us saw those things. Yeah. I wonder if people, is there anybody yeah. listening out there? Are people enjoying this show? We get a few emails. What was that last email? We do. I think someone wanted us to cover this one or back in Memphis, and we had already, the email got stuck in our spam folder for I've, no I, I just reason. looked in the spam folder for no particular reason, and it was a whole, you know, like 150 junk. But there was one email from a guy yeah. like two months ago, and I'm like, oh, wow, this, yeah. if I hadn't gone through, because usually I would just empty the spam. But I, I've gotten used to doing that right. on my own email, because yeah. so many things go to spam for some reason, which are not spam. But then you get spam in your normal right. mail. I have no idea what sort of filters they're using. But anyway, yeah, there was, there was somebody <laughs> who wanted us to do the second part. of this, so One the person wanted album. the second, the studio part, and then somebody else wanted the live one so we've done both now so that's good yes yeah. yes but anyway back to this album i think it's one of the best live albums by elvis it's hard to say that because i know it's been edited down so mm. i know we're not listening to a full concert and so it's hard to say oh this is his best concert album when it's not even the whole concert 
But for an edit, and again, for the yes. sequencing and for just the whole thoughtfulness, this is a brilliant, genius album. And just like from Elvis in Memphis, back in Memphis, he is at the peak right now and he can do no wrong. And this is just m another album full of evidence that he is yeah, I'm, at the top right I'm, now. I'm actually struggling to find anything negative to say. The sequencing is great. Yeah. The sound, the mixing, the performance itself, the straight, professional, no-joking versions of, of songs. Like, there's just everything to like about this album. There's plenty of other versions, live yeah. versions of songs, if you want the joking around. Yeah. But this just has really, everything. Yeah. It's an amazing well, It doesn't have Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned. No, but if you if you go get that 11 CD or download that 11 CD box set of 11 full concerts from this season, what an amazing thing to have. But yeah, you'll, you'll get Jailhouse Rock on there. I will struggle to find the time, but I really do want to listen through just to hear the, again, 40 shows in. That's the annoying thing. But still, just to hear yeah. a nonstop run of 11 consecutive shows yeah. night after, you know, show after show. Yeah, and some of them hours yeah. apart because you'll get the dinner show and the midnight mm. show, which is interesting. So so that's, um, I think I can say that's, that's one it. of the best, the most, no, I, I won't say the best live album. Elvis's best live album, but I'll say it's the most considered. It seems like the most thought has been put into this live album mm. as opposed to any of the others we've talked about. It's, I agree. It's just, it's just such a good representation of Elvis at that time. Even though it's edited, even you know, even though the yeah. sequencing's been messed around, again, everything about it is seems really thought out, which is amazing because mm -hmm. that no, didn't happen. But, but from lot. 1968 until maybe 72, mm. 73, I mean, yeah, they were really, I mean, he, he seemed like he was really focused on his career and being, well, I mean, you know, he'd just done all these movies yeah. and suddenly he, he's on stage again. He's just, he's, to say he's rejuvenated is a understatement. Yeah. There had to be a so. plan to come back after the movies. You couldn't just come back and do live shows and hope that was enough yeah yeah so he really was thinking he i mean the studio stuff mm. too was very well considered it's like i'm going to do serious songs because you know i've been singing to children about confidence and uh, you know all this other stuff in clam bake and you know he was really focused on the track listing on from elvis in memphis and back in memphis in the studio and i think the same deep consideration went into the live show and the set list and everything it's funny you mentioned the movies it was only yesterday i was just flicking through the tv channels through the guide mm -hmm. and it said charo and i'm like i'm pretty sure that's an mm -hmm. elvis thing so i clicked on it and there he was with his <laughs> yeah, his glorious beard oh my god so good Doesn't he look it's great. the only time he, he had a beard yeah, isn't it yeah he, he looked it's so good in the beard and i've got like a facebook page called alternate universe elvis and I started making these like picture sleeves and I used Elvis with the Charo beard for like <laughs> seven records because he looked so good. So I used like different versions. I, I put Elvis with the Charo beard on the cover of the single for uh, Wonder of You, Don't Cry Daddy, Suspicious Minds. I just was using it for everything because he looked so good in that. Why do we think he didn't keep the beard. I don't think he ever even remotely considered it. I think it was a thing for the movie. But yeah. And that's it. I, again, I think he did it for the movie, but I think everyone, maybe even Elvis himself, knew that he was just way too incredibly good looking to cover his face with anything, including but, oh, a beard yeah, that looked good. Yeah, but isn't it weird that we never saw even a five o'clock shadow 
there was never a hint that I can recall throughout the 70s. I don't remember ever seeing, you know, a quarter of an inch Mm -hmm. of beard on his face. I just find it amazing that it was always 100% clean cut for the rest of his life. You can find some really cool, candid pictures of Elvis. Oh, maybe, like holidays off stage. Well, well, no, no, no. I'm actually talking about during the filming of of Charo, where he had to keep the beard on and off for the show. So there's there's fan pictures of him you know, in regular clothes with the oh, with yeah. the Charo stubble. But you're right. Once he got done with that movie, I've mm. never seen a photo of Elvis with any facial hair just, that hasn't been photoshopped. I've seen a bunch of people photoshop it. Just the giant mutton chops. Yes, just the giant sideburns. sideburns. Did you watch? Oh, uh, I watched about five much minutes. Much of Charo, or did you just kind of flip past? Is that it's is a that very the one that has movie. no music, no songs? No, so- no not a single mm. song. It's the um. The title song is played over the opening credits mm. and Elvis sings that, but it's not. Gee, in the all this Charo movie. talk, you'd think the uh, next album we're going to talk about is Charo, but I'm well, pretty sure is, it is not. There is no <laughs> album called Charo since we just established there's only one song in Charo. But next is a good question. There's We could cover the last time Elvis played Las Vegas, which is a live show from 1956. We could cover the last time Elvis performed live, which is a live show from 1961. Oh, yeah, maybe we do that 61 Hawaii show. Oh, I would love to. We can compare Hound Dog. Is there one or two? One. Well, one. There's only one recording. He did another concert after that in Memphis as a charity, and unfortunately there's no recording of that. Because, yeah, maybe I was just reading that there was a couple. If there's only one recording, that's all we can do. Right, right. But FTD put out a a book and a a show called Rock Around the Block. Block spelled B-L-O-C-H because it was at the Block Arena in Hawaii. Hawaii. But it's got very, very good sound. Let's do that. Cool. I think it's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> we don't even know what we're doing. And then we just decide right at the end. Sometimes we don't even decide at the end of the show. But now we did. So lucky you <laughs> people, true. you get to know what's next. Yes. Yeah, another live show. 61. I think it's March something. Yeah, that sounds right. But I yeah, did I actually listen to that only maybe a month or two ago. So yeah, it'll be good to really listen oh, to that. Cool. Yeah. Okay, then. That's all. The show is yeah, over. The music's coming. We're fading out. We'll talk to you in August when you are going to be boiling there in uh, in New Orleans. Yeah, if I'm still here and a hurricane hasn't blown everything. Oh away. yeah, you got the yeah. We're in the that's, season. That season. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Bye bye, everybody. Bye everybody. Elvis has left the building. <laughs> <laughs>